coronavirus. Facts, not fear. New orders announced today at the state and federal levels, both designed to protect your money and stop the spread of the virus. Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. Plenty to get to this half hour, including insight from one of the top researchers in the country who's right here in Chapel Hill. He's joining David Crabtree live. We start with Mark Boyle in the Live Center tracking the developments from the White House. Mark? Deborah, good evening. The president's press conference still happening right now. You can see in Washington, D.C., talking about different graphs of where numbers will be over the next few weeks. The president saying that the next two weeks, next two to three weeks, are going to be extremely hard for the United States. He had a very somber tone talking about things this afternoon. The number of deaths in the United States is now forecasted between 100 and 250,000 deaths. If we keep mitigation going right now the way things are, take a listen to what some of the experts talked about in terms of trying to make sure things are contained. You know, you have an upslope. So as mortality, the fatalities to this disease will increase and then it will come back down and it will come back down slower than the rate at which it went up. And so that's, that is really the issue, how, how much we can push the mortality down. Now, the president also said that the, the guidelines in terms of social distancing is encouraged through April 30th in order to keep those numbers down as well. And we saw some numbers and the sloping, when things will calm down. When will these spikes go away that we've been seeing across the country and specifically places like New York City? It's going to be after June. Of course, things can change, but that is what these projections are showing right now. Back to you. Mark, thank you. And here are the latest numbers in North Carolina. 1,529 cases positive in North Carolina with new cases just coming in from Cumberland and Durham counties within the past hour. We have 12 total deaths from coronavirus, 10 of them North Carolina residents, two out-of-state residents who died in North Carolina. 157 patients are currently hospitalized statewide. Today, the governor announced additional measures to keep families from having to worry about bills as we approach the first of the month. This is specifically meant for electricity and water, but it applies to other entities as well. People should pay their bills, and the vast majority want to and do. But during this crisis, some just don't have enough money. These protections will help families stay in their homes and keep vital services like electricity, water, and communications going as we stay at home. The governor also urged people not to overbuy when they go grocery shopping in the coming days, as many people who are expected to be out are those who get paid the first of the month and haven't had a chance to go shopping yet. Additional National Guard members expected to deploy in the coming days to help move supplies around the state. The governor also stressed the need for federal support when it comes to medical supplies. A change in policy today when it comes to gun permit applications. A week after announcing his office would not be processing pistol permits, Wake County Sheriff Gerald Baker now says his office will process them with modifications. The sheriff said this change was initially made to help with a backlog of new applications. Within days, one group filed a lawsuit against the sheriff's office. A spokesperson for the sheriff says the two parties came to a mutual agreement to make the change. Gun Gun stores have also been in limbo. They are now allowed to remain open, considered an essential business based on new guidance from the federal government. WRL's Amanda Lamb breaks down what this means for them. 
There's been a lot of confusion about this, and it's understandable. This store in Raleigh, for example, is closed. They are selling their products online. And that's because initially Wake County's order said these businesses were non-essential. Well, they changed that decision yesterday after new guidelines came down from the federal government and the state. Now these businesses are able to be open. With each new stay-at-home order, there's more confusion about who can stay open and who must close. But Clay Osley, who owns Fuquay Gun and Gold, says he's not confused at all. In addition to selling guns, he operates a pawn shop where people sell guns to the store. This allows him to stay open under the financial institutions clause. As long as we're considered an essential business, we're going to be here to make sure our customers can get everything they need to keep themselves secure and armed in their homes. Nationwide gun sales have gone through the roof since the pandemic began. Many people are concerned about personal safety. They see this as a pivotal moment to protect their Second Amendment rights. Gun sales in about the past 16 days have been up 500 to 800 percent daily. It's been uh, actually some of the busiest traffic we've seen in 18 years. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency deemed gun stores to be part of essential critical infrastructure workforce in a list released Saturday. It was an advisory, not a mandate. But many local and state governments, including Wake County, are now incorporating this into their own guidelines, allowing the stores to stay open. We're considered an essential business now, and that is because... The Firearms, many consider uh, it to be one of the ways that you keep your home safe. So there are some rules here in Wake County. If these stores choose to open, they're asking people to continue to maintain the social distancing of six feet from each other. They're also telling big box retailers that if they open because they sell guns in one part of their store, they can only have that part open and not non-essential areas of the store. Back to you. Police in Fuquay Varina want the public to know that they do not have officers stopping people for violating the stay-at-home order. They asked us to clarify any misinformation out there. Police say there has to be a reasonable suspicion for them to stop someone. Today, the death toll in the United States passed the number of COVID-19 deaths officially reported in China. Taking you now to our live center where our WREO crews have been monitoring the curve of the official Johns Hopkins map of cases deaths and recoveries. Today in this country, we passed 3,400 deaths. China reported just over 3,300, although some people are disputing the authenticity of the China numbers. Joining us now live via Zoom is one of the top researchers in the country on the front lines of this war, Dr. Ralph Barrick, professor with the Department of Epidemiology at the UNC School of Public Health. Dr. Barrick, thanks so much for talking with us. We want to reiterate to our viewers just how involved you are with this. It is your life's work. You published an article in October of 2017, just two and a half years ago. Are we ready for the next superbug outbreak? And when asked about viruses most likely to cause an outbreak, your number one was flu, number two, coronaviruses. Did you believe a global pandemic of this type strain was something you would see in your lifetime, let alone in 30 months. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, and thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to the public. Uh, we have uh, done research on uh, emerging coronaviruses for 20 plus years. 
and uh, new emerging coronaviruses have appeared in human populations about every eight years now. Uh, you're correct that we uh, had identified influenza and coronaviruses as the most likely culprits that would cause the next pandemic. Uh, from our perspective, it was because we were doing research analyzing uh, SARS-like bat coronaviruses. Uh, SARS coronaviruses come from bats. They are prevalent in bat species. And within the strains that circulate in bats are a particular subclass of strains that are of high risk. High risk meaning that they can replicate in human cells even before they uh, 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 jump between species. I want to pull, put something on the screen here because this was also part of your blog. You said we needed to harden our defenses against future outbreaks. How do we do this? Your answer was public infrastructure. Now that we've seen how this pandemic is unfolding, can you elaborate on this? And is it something still concerning at this time? Sure, the fundamental problem with new emerging diseases is we don't know exactly what they're gonna look like. Uh, we don't have uh, drugs ready on a shelf for an unknown, and we are not prepared with vaccines. And that pretty much leaves public health intervention and public health infrastructure as the main mechanism of controlling the spread of the disease and the risk for individuals in the population to become infected. You know, just two months ago, we actually talked with you back toward the end of January when this was first making international headlines out of China. So what's changed with your perception of COVID-19 over the past 60 days? Well, so around the 23rd of January, the, um, the Chinese did three significant things. They quarantined 60 million people in about 12 cities. Their health minister said that the community spread was occurring. And they also said that asymptomatic spread was occurring. And that means that this new novel coronavirus had transmission features, much like influenza virus. And it only takes an influenza virus three to six months to circumvent the globe. So we were warned uh, that this was coming and uh, key intervention strategies had to be put in place immediately. Foremost among those was uh, to have tests ready to go to evaluate cases, to put quarantine events in place like the president did that would help reduce um, infected individuals from China and uh, the Southeast Asia from bringing virus into the country. But because there's asymptomatic cases, because there's mild disease cases, uh, those intervention strategies are porous. And so uh, most modelers, most epidemiologic modelers who project what kind of disease uh, events will occur in the future, uh, pretty much had, uh, uh, were all in agreement that a global pandemic was on the horizon. Three to six months. Wow, Dr. Barrick, if you would stay with us. We're going to take a break now when we come back. We're going to ask you more about the response to this specifically what is happening in your lab to find a cure. Plus, the need for protective gear for our Fayetteville police officers so great that the police chief has come up with an innovative idea to make their own. Um, gloves, masks, we haven't found them. We're, we're creating our own masks. We'll show you how simple it is for them to make. This is WRAL News special coverage, facts not fear.
Welcome back. I'm David Crabtree along with Gerald Owens and Deborah Morgan. We are continuing our conversation now with Dr. Ralph Barrick, professor with the Department of, of Epidemiology at the UNC School of Public Health. Dr. Barrick, I want to talk about your lab and the research your team's been doing so far. Of course, the highlight's been the creation of the test that's now being used statewide. Has the focus pivoted to a vaccine and cure? Well, we're involved in multiple um, countermeasure approaches against this new virus. Uh, the first of which is uh, over the past six years, actually, we had worked with Gilead and other uh, commercial entities to develop drugs that would work against all emerging coronaviruses that were available uh, to science, and with the hope that if we could find one that would work against all of them, that it would work against the new strain. And in fact, uh, the first drug that we identified that has gone through FDA review and is in clinical trials is remdesivir that we uh, developed in collaboration with researchers at Vanderbilt and with Gilead Incorporated. And that uh, drug is under uh, cohort studies in China, the US and Europe. A second drug we developed in, con in uh, collaboration with uh, researchers at Emory University. It's called uh, NHC is the easy one, easy way to refer to it. It is also a, a, a drug that blocks virus replication. Uh, that drug is under review now and hopefully uh, will be uh, used under compassionate use and in clinical trials shortly. So we've been working on countermeasure development for coronaviruses for six years. You know, you talk about being under review, and of course, the people, so many people just want to know uh, what under review might mean. Are we talking six months, three months away that we might see this ready to be used by the public? Uh, the, the outcome from the remdesivir trial should start becoming available in the next two weeks. Uh, we, we should have a pretty good idea by the end of, by the middle of April, I would believe. The second drug uh, is just uh, under review right now by the FDA for use in humans, and that's going to take longer. Well, we are also working. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, sir. Uh, we're also um, heavily engaged uh, in collaboration with NIH and their corporate partners at developing vaccines for human use. We are screening some of the early vaccine candidates in mouse models of human disease. So one of the other reagents, we've developed two critical reagents. One reagent allows you to rapidly um, evaluate uh, drug efficacy and to evaluate, rapidly evaluate neutralizing antibodies, which are key components of protective immunity. So those assays are in use by uh, vaccine manufacturers in a couple of different places in the country. And we're also testing vaccines in uh, model systems, animal model systems in the laboratory that we developed. And then finally, we're working with at least two different groups to develop hyperimmune sera. Uh, this is uh, antibodies from uh, patients who have survived infection. Those antibodies protect against disease. And so uh, we're helping to identify uh, individuals who have very high titers of uh, protective antibodies so that they can be formulated into a suspension that can be given to patients. All of that sounds very encouraging. Uh, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but it's some of the better news that we have heard recently regarding research. So. Before we uh, let you get back to your evening, Dr. Barrick, some of you and your staff have been working 18-hour days. How are you holding up? Well, I think everyone's uh, tired, um, but they're also very engaged. I've got about 16 people in the laboratory that work under high containment conditions. They work, uh, they're working as teams. Uh, they're working in, in uh, close uh, 
consultation with each other. Uh, many of them have been experienced working with high containment pathogens for uh, almost 20 years. And so we've got an incredible group of talented people who, in essence, uh, are doing their very best to try to uh, help solve this problem. Uh, Dr. Berg, one last question. If you were advising federal leaders with a task force, what is the one message you would say to them and relate to them? Well, certainly testing needs to be increased so that we can find the, um, the silent transmission networks that exist throughout the country. Uh, because they're asymptomatic cases, we don't know who's transmitting. We don't know exactly where new cases will arise. And so that's a problem. The second problem is um, there's a lot of uh, virus has, has been transmitted to most regions in the country. And so over the next three weeks, uh, we will see probably disease cases and the number of cases uh, approach maximal level by the end of April. April is going to be a very hard month. The key element for uh, saving lives is going to be the ventilators and PPE, both for the healthcare professionals who risk their lives every day to take care of these people, but also for the deathly ill. Uh, respirators uh, are absolutely essential to treat the most uh, severe manifestations of this disease that occur primarily in elderly, but also in younger individuals. And that's a disease called acute respiratory distress syndrome, where basically you have uh, so much fluid or damage in your lungs that you can't transmit oxygen to your tissues. And so that results in multi-organ failure and death. And so respirators are the only way to truly treat uh, the most seriously ill, and that's about 5%. So when the number of respirators are maximally being used and each one gets used for about 18 days before the patient gets better, uh, we run out of that treatment option and the mortality rate will go up. Dr. Berg, uh, we can do this. Let's hope uh, those in charge are listening. Dr. Ralph Berg, professor with the Department of Epidemiology at the UNC School of Public Health. We appreciate your time and your commitment to all of us to this country. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And you Fascinating. Yeah. Bay police have a new challenge when it comes to keeping themselves safe. And today, WRO's Gilbert Bays found officers doing something not listed in their job description. For the past three weeks, Fayetteville Police Chief Gina Hawkins has been preparing her department to do its part to stop the spread of the coronavirus. She, like everyone else, has searched high and low for protective gear. If you paid attention, no one's found them. We also understand the health care doctors, nurses, health care providers absolutely need them first. So she's using the sewing machines that she had at the Smith Recreation Police Athletic League to make masks for her officers. We got the supplies. We started deploying um, the first squad of officers with our own handmade mask um, in our facility right now. A computer lays out the design, and officers and other police department personnel, including the chief, stitches them all together. The chief hopes to provide each officer with three masks. They're being made with a little pouch on the back for special use. That way they can even put just a basic procedure mask on the inside or they can put some any type of um, cloth filter on the inside. Now the police chief knows that these are an N95 mask, but she's hopeful that the mask and other things they've implemented will help keep her officers safe on the streets. In Fayetteville, Gilbert Bay's WRAL News.
Now, we all know the people working in health care on the front lines are the heroes in all of this. And we found out many of the spouses are, too. Katie Bice's husband is an ICU doctor at UNC Hillsboro. She and other volunteers in the community helped organize a meal train for those working at UNC's main hospital. They help her make the pre-packed meals, and she drops them off to a nurse at the back door, who then takes the meals to the staff. We all love seeing these incredibly moving examples of kindness, and we want to share them with you. Send us your story to an everyday, of an everyday hero by going to WRAL.com, or you can use the hashtag Neighborhood Heroes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be right back. Just because you have to stay home, it doesn't mean you can't take part in Downtown Raleigh's First Fridays. Today, the Downtown Raleigh Alliance announced plans to make the event virtual. It was initially set for this Friday. Just like the in-person events organizers promised, there will still be plenty of musical performances, live events, and other demonstrations. Another organization taking its services online Tomorrow, Dress for Success is celebrating 12 years of serving women in the Triangle. They plan to continue doing so during this challenging time by taking services out of their traditional office spaces. They're now helping local women online, and they expect an even greater need once life returns to normal. WRAL and Capital Broadcasting are here to help local businesses. Our virtual conference series facing this crisis together continues this week. It's a chance to get advice from industry experts and hear ideas from local business owners. The next webinar is Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. WRAL and the United Way are also working together on a fundraising event this Thursday. It's time to help the helpers. The United Way's Rapid Response Fund provides immediate funding to many nonprofits in our area on the front line. They are experiencing an increased demand for critical resources like food, childcare, and housing, all because of COVID-19. You can help the helpers by donating this Thursday to the Rapid Response Fund from 4.30 a.m. until 8 p.m. There are plenty of ways to help right now on WRAL.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Our next newscast is at 10 on Fox 50 and at 11 right here on WRAL. We'll see you then. Have a great night.